Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the iHeart Tucson podcast. Today, we are going to be going over a few things. Uh, first, uh, we're going to be going over the Tucson housing market report. Uh, this is something that this is something that is done every month uh, by the Tucson Association of Realtors. Uh, better known as TAR. Uh, and every month they release new numbers, uh, just letting people know how the market is performing. Uh, you know, they go over the new listings, uh, pending sales, closed sales, how many days on mark for each home, median sales price, the average sales price. So they give you all those numbers. Uh, so that's the first thing that we're going to be going over. The second thing is we have a guest, Patrick Chamberlain. Uh, he is the team leader of our team, the Continental Realty team, and he will be going over inflation. Uh, it's a hot topic today, obviously, with inflation being where it's at. Um, I believe it's 6% range right now. There's a lot to talk about there. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about how inflation is affecting Tucson, the Tucson housing market. Uh, you know, it is no surprise that inflation is also affecting the housing market. So he's going to go over some numbers and he's also going to talk about how you can use real estate to hedge yourself against inflation. So, you know, it's something that pop it's something that is very popular with investors. Uh, you see investors right now, they are buying up all the homes. He's going to go over that. Why are they doing that? Should we be doing that? Uh, all that great stuff. So tune in for that. That will be after I go over the housing report. So the latest numbers for the Tucson housing market, uh, the U.S. housing market as a whole remains robust. Uh, strong activity reported across both rental and residential housing fronts. Single family rent prices are increasing rapidly uh, as demand for single family housing and inventory constraints forces some buyers to rent. So obviously we know uh, we are in a strong seller's market. Inventory is very low and some buyers are either getting priced out or getting impatient and they're being forced to rent so with anything uh competition for rent is going up meaning rent prices are going up with it and that is going on across the nation not just here in tucson uh, meanwhile the sales of new construction single family homes recently hit a six-month high rising 14 percent to a seasonally adjusted rate of 800,000. and that is according to the latest data from the u.s department of housing and urban development so no surprise new construction homes also in high demand, uh, the builders cannot keep up. Um, you know, they're, they're building as fast as they can, but with labor shortages, with fluctuating prices for material, uh, with fluctuating rates, uh, they are doing the best that they can. And there are long wait lists for new, for new construction sites all over Tucson here. Uh, you know, typically it's, you know, maybe six months to, for, from start to finish from the process of a home, getting newly built, signing to the day you can move in. Right now it's looking, you know, more nine to 12 months. So it's definitely taking more time 
for the whole process. Uh, also, as far as the prices for these new homes, those prices are going up at about 3% per month. Uh, and that is compared to homes that are not new that are going up 2% per month. So they are going up quicker. New listings decreased 2.7% for single family homes and 10.6% for townhomes and condos. Okay, so decreased listings obviously is not something that we want to see. Uh, we want to see that number go up steadily month to month. Uh, right now, you know, being in a seller's market and seeing those numbers go down, that is the wrong direction. Um, new listings decreasing means, you know, less inventory being put out for buyers. Pending sales increased 4.3% for single family and 8.9% for townhouse and condos. So pending sales, meaning uh, when an offer is accepted, that is a pending sale. You're going into escrow. So that's a number that is increasing. So that is a good sign. You want that number to be up. The more pending sales that are happening, that means more offers are being accepted. So that is always good. Inventory decreased 0.2% for single family and 37.8% yikes for townhomes and condos. Again, decreased inventory is not good for the buyers. If you're a seller, decreased inventory is great. You're going to get top dollar for your home. But for most people who are buyers, they do not want to see decreasing inventory that is taken away from your potential inventory. You want a great pick of the litter. Okay, now we're going to talk about the median sales price. Uh, median sales price increased 20% to $340,000 for single family homes. And it also increased 12% to $204,000 for townhomes and condos. So let's talk about that for a bit. Median sales price is now $340,000. Uh, let's compare that to last year, 2020, uh, when the median sales price was $283,000. Whoa, that is a big difference. That is a difference of $57,000. So if you've been waiting in one year, that's, you know, that's the gap that you've been, that you have to fill now. $57,000 prices are going up. If you bought a home last year, congratulations, you made $57,000. So there's two ways to look at it. If you want to buy, get all, don't get caught renting. Talk to us. We can help you find a home. Okay, so next we're going to talk about month's supply of inventory. Uh, what this is, is basically if we had no new listings appear at all and we only had what was listed right now how many months will that last before we hit zero so our month's supply of inventory decreased seven percent for single family and 46 percent for townhomes and condos okay so it decreased seven percent we are at 1.3 months of inventory so what that is meaning is if we got no new listings at all if no one wanted to sell in 1.3 months we would run out of homes to sell and buyers would be out of luck now let's compare those numbers to this time last year when we had 1.4 months of inventory. So again, we're going down. We wanna see those numbers go up. If you are buyers, if you're sellers, what that means is that 
your home is increasing in value because there's just no supply out there. All right, so we've gone over the median sales prices. We've gone over the month's supply of inventory. We have gone over new listing decreases. Now let's talk about the actual number of listings this past month compared to last month. So the latest numbers we have are from October 2021, where we had 1,574 new listings that we stated earlier that that was decreased 2.7%. So that means in 2020 of October, we had 1,618 new listings in that month. So not a far gap, but we are down. You want to see that up. Uh, pending sales. Okay. Pending sales. Uh, as I brought bring up this chart here, uh, pending sales for the people that are not just listening, but viewing of the YouTube channel. Uh, our pending sales was at 1,371 this past month. And that is up 4.3%. Like we said, that is good. We want to see those numbers keep going up. Uh, comparing them to October of last year, our pending sales was at 1,315. Okay, so pending sales compared to closed sales. Pending sales are any offers that get accepted and go into the escrow process. Obviously, not every offer that gets accepted gets closed. So once you move on from pending sale, you this is where you want to get to right here, closed sales. Uh, and that was down 20% this month, this time last year compared to this year. So October 2021, we had 1,077, we had 1,077 closed sales. Uh, and that is compared to October of 2020 when we had 1,660 closed sales. That is a number that we definitely want to see up. Here's a big one. Days on market until sale. So what this is stating is how many days on market will a home be before it gets offers and an offer accepted ultimately? Uh, numbers last year to this year are down 10%, meaning homes are on the market a lot shorter than they were last year. Uh, this October of 2021, going into November, homes are on the market typically about 17 days that is down from 19 days from this time last year inventory of homes for sale so this is how many homes are available in tucson right now to purchase uh, 1618 compared to this time last year when there were 1622 inventory of homes for sale that is slightly down we would definitely want to see that up and healthier in the future. And then we have month supply of inventory, like we stated earlier. If we did not get any more listings, if we do not have any more people that want to sell their home, how many months would we have before we ran out of homes for sale? That is at 1.3 compared to 1.4 last year. And here we're looking at a chart for new listings. Uh, as you can see, here is October of 2019, October of 2020, and October of 2021. Now, we are down from last year, but again, you have to remember, last year was very hectic. We were in the middle of a pandemic. You almost 
not necessarily have to throw them away, but you have to, you know, also, you know, take it with a grain of salt and, you know, look back another year, see what was going on before the pandemic. So 2019, we had 1,484 listings. Then we had this crazy market. 2021, you have less of a crazy market. And you see that we're up from 2019. So with some perspective, uh, those numbers do look good. Same with condos and townhomes, you are down from last year. But if you look back two years ago, we're at about the same pace or numbers of new listings for condos and townhomes. And if you look over here, we can look at the month to month numbers. Uh, last, last September, we were at 1500, you know, steadily at 1500. In May of this year, we dropped all the way down to 1300. So that is about the lowest it has gotten this year. February it got to 1300 as well. Uh, before that, it was, you know, down to 900 homes in December of last year. So if you take that into perspective, we are definitely seeing more homes listed on the market, more opportunities for buyers in a time when, you know, this is historically one of the biggest sellers markets of our time, of our generation. So those are the numbers for this month. As I stated earlier, as the temperatures start to drop, we get into the cooler months here in Tucson, cooler weather, the demand by the buyers will start to increase again. So please, right now, while we have inventory out there, talk to us. Let's figure out where you're at. Let's get you looking at some homes and we'll have you start building equity. Now, I'm gonna have, next up, I am going to have Patrick on and we're gonna talk about inflation. Uh, we're going to talk about the effects that it's having in the Tucson housing market. You know, obviously inflation is affecting everything, not just your goods, you know, not just gas. So I had a great convo with Patrick when we recorded it, got it on video. Before we go to that, I just want to make sure that you guys know to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Uh, you can get clips of this podcast if you want. We have the video version on our YouTube channel. Uh, just go into YouTube and type in iHeartTucson. Uh, we also have our team YouTube channel, Continental Realty AZ. Type that in. We've got tons of buyer tips, seller tips, uh, just a lot of great facts for people that just want to get informed and don't feel like talking to a realtor. You know, just go ahead and click on those videos and we've got a lot of answers for you guys. Also, if you want to see short clips of this podcast, you don't feel like listening to the whole thing at once. We understand we've got you guys taken care of. Follow us on our Instagram at Realtor underscore Jen, J-E-N and Jose. There we have short clips of the podcast. We... We give out tons of great info on there. And then we also have our team Facebook page. Uh, just go on Facebook, type in Continental Realty AZ. Give us a like, follow us on everything. We give out tons of great info on every, on every platform that we're on. Now, after that shameless plug, let's go on with Patrick and we can talk about and let's talk about some inflation where our team was talking about inflation uh how inflation obviously affects real estate uh you know it affects everything you know but inflation uh in particularly doesn't affect real estate because of the interest rates 
uh, home prices or a few things that it um, affects. And uh, Patrick, uh, what do you f- a few of the things that you think about, you know, what inflation has been doing to our economy this year or, you know, vice versa? It's been wreaking havoc kind of on our economy. Just government continues to print money to stimulate the economy. Uh, the government continues to uh, purchase bonds, purchase mortgage-backed securities to keep rates artificially low. Um, but the longer that the government artificially keeps interest rates low, the higher rates of inflation you're going to have. And so it kind of puts our government kind of in a tight window of they continue to buy, keep rates low so they can stimulate the economy. But the longer that they do that, the more higher inflation you get, the longer inflation goes, the more of a hindrance is going to happen on the economy. So they find themselves in a pretty sticky situation. And I'm sure you, just like many of your listeners and viewers have noticed that uh, we have a 6.2% inflation rate, the highest rate since 1990. And it's going to stick around with the rate that we're printing money and the amount of money that we're printing. Yeah. So, okay. So you said something in particular that you mentioned before that the government is purchasing their bonds and that that, you know, directly is affecting the inflation and stuff like that. So for the average person that maybe doesn't know too much about finances or how you know all that works uh how does that affect what's going on in every day with the prices and inflation uh so just being basic super uh, basic is exactly yeah your, your cost of your goods are going up on average 6.2 the government uses an index called the customer price index or cpi it just takes a group of common day goods and tracks of what their cost is over the years or over the months and based on those prices, it gives them a rate of uh, price inflate, inflation. So over the last 12 months, your six products now cost 6% more. And so it, it, you're basically getting less with one US dollar than you did a year ago. Yes. Yeah, so you're going backwards, essentially, with your money if you're not putting it anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so with inflation being where it's at right now, uh, you have to, you know, how we were talking about, we have to put your money somewhere. Um, you know, the three popular places that people want to put their money is gold, real estate, and the stock market. Uh, we, you know, you have, you know, a lot of insight the real estate market and how it's performing and how it does against inflation. So uh, we all know that you have to put your money somewhere with inflation right now. Uh, you can't just leave it in, in your savings with your bank. Yeah, it'll you know devalue over time over the years. So, uh, Patrick, uh, we were discussing this before. What do you think is the best way to hedge um, and you know you know cover yourself against this inflation? Uh, you know, we have gold, we have real estate, we have the stock market. Uh, what are your thoughts? So, I guess um, you can't really predict the future, so we're gonna focus on um, what's happened in the past, uh, and so. I've been tracking how both gold stock and real estate have done over the last few decades. And uh, this is kind of what I've found for those of you watching, not just listening at home. Predominantly, stock has been the best place to put your money to hedge against inflation. Um, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, every time stock has been the best place to go, except for 20 years ago, gold had a great run. Um, but predominantly stock market's the best price, place to put your money. The problem with just looking at it that way is that 
gold and stock are both one-dimensional stocks. What I mean by that is you put your money in, your, your equity increases. There's no other profit centers for that type of investment. Uh, and so when I say stock and gold is doing better than real estate, that's looking at real estate as a one-dimensional when actually real estate is actually a four-dimensional investment. Okay, so this is just looking at one you know, one way basically that that is growing your money and real estate has, you know, three other ways on top of this one to where you can use it and have it grow. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what would you say are those other three dimensions, the you know, total four dimensions for real estate? Yeah. So the first one, like you mentioned, just like stock and gold, it's equity build. Um, over time, you're, that asset's going to increase in value. Um, one of the other dimensions is the fact that real estate is very easy to leverage. You can leverage it by getting a mortgage on a property. So if you buy a $300,000 house, you don't need $300,000. If you want to buy $300,000 of gold, $300,000 of stock, you're going to need $300,000. With real estate, you only need 25% down. So you're only going to need 75,000. But the yeah. benefit of that is that when that $300,000 house goes up 10%, you made $30,000 on your $75,000, not $30,000 on your $300,000. Yeah. And so by leveraging, you get to a multiplier on top of um, the return that you're getting. Um, so on top of equity build, it's lever leverageable. Uh, the second thing is that it's, it has cash flows. You're buying this investment property. You're not just going to be sitting in it and just having it vacant. You're going to have a tenant in there. And over the years, the amount of cash flow you're going to have is going to increase. Because when you're buying real estate, if you're assuming a 30-year loan, you're locking in your payment. And so you're locking in your payment in today's dollars, not future dollars. And so even though the value of the dollars don't decrease over the time, your payment staying the same. So like I said earlier, um, in 1990, that dollars was 49 cents today. If you get a 30-year loan, just throw a number out there, that's $2,000 a month. In 30 years, by the time it's paid off, that, that $2,000 a month is going to be the same as if it was $1,000 today. Um, so you have cash flow. Um, the fourth dimension is the fact that because someone else is living in there paying rent, part of that's going to cash flow. Part of it's going to your loan. And so every month that they're paying rent, you're applying it to the, to the loan, they're paying your loan off for you. And so every year, every month, you're gaining equity by having your loan decrease. And so that's what I mean by real estate being four-dimensional. It's not just something that's going to build value over time. So it's typically, you would say there's four, four different potential streams of that growing. Yeah. And- that's, that's the main reason why you're seeing all of these big money, big hedge funds or big conglomerate companies right now starting to buy real estate. Um, one in seven homes in the United States this year have been purchased by an investor um, because they know real estate is where it's at if you want to hedge against inflation. Yep. Yep. And that means also uh, rent prices are going to be jumping up. People rent, yeah. People are going to start feeling that next year. Rent is going to increase in times of inflation. Mortgage stays the same. Rent increases. 
Yep. Okay, Patrick. So one of the dimensions that you talked about for real estate is uh, equity gains. Uh, for you know, for the average home, the people that are, are interested in listening, uh, let's say the medium priced home here in Tucson, uh, what are some you know returns that you know, if they took with this advice, something that they could see or you know something just to grab their attention about what they can be getting you know if they were to get an investment property? Yeah, so um, over the years historically, you're gonna get between like ten and fifteen percent um, equity gain every year. Um, if you look at a home you bought 30 years ago, um, it's going to increase 10% on average per year. 20 years ago, it was 9%. 10 years ago, 13%. Five years ago, 16%. And so it's pretty consistent, even though there's been ups, there's been downs. I mean, 20 years ago, it was 2001. People who bought 2001 had to deal with the crisis of 2008. They still increased their equity by 9%. Um, one of the reasons, again, why this uh, gives you higher equity gains is because you're leveraging your money. You're putting 25% down, not 100% down. And so this is a return on your money that you have in the house, not a return on the value of the asset as a whole, if that makes sense. Okay. So, uh, all right. So you told us about the equity gains returns that people can see. Um the second dimension that you mentioned, or you know, the third dimension actually would be the cash flow for people that would rent out, uh, and not just investors, but you know, people that you know just want to see cash flow with multiple properties. Uh, what are typical returns that they can see here in Tucson? Yeah, so again, it depends on how long you're holding it or how long ago you want to look at. Historically, um, 30 years ago you'd average about a 16% uh, return on your money in cash flow every year. Uh, 20, 10 years ago, um, 10%, five years ago, 6%. And one thing that's important with cash flow is that this is the average over the 30 years per se. Uh, per se. Uh, so the first couple of years, you may not be getting any cash flow. You may be getting 1%. Um, but by the time it gets towards the end, you're gonna be getting more cash flow. And so these numbers are just the average over that amount of years. So 20 years ago, you, you might've got 1% at the first, you might be getting 20% at the end of it. But again, over those 20 years, you average 10%. Definitely. So yeah, that's 16%, 10%, that looks really good. Okay. So, uh, you talked about now about the equity gains. You talked about the cash flow that people can get. Uh, now, can you tell us a little bit about the loan buy-down returns that people can see here in Tucson? Yeah, so as I mentioned, every time your rent is paid by your renter, you're going to take that and you're going to pay off your mortgage. Um, so every month, your principal is going to be paid down. Um, and over the years, it's going to add up. So if we're looking here... We got uh, over 30 years, again, 10% uh, of your, you're gonna get 10% return on your money that you have in the deal going towards the amount that you owe in your house. Um, 20 years is gonna average seven, 10 years, six, five years, six. Um, so on average, I would call that probably seven to 8% return if you're just looking at the, the buy down of your loan. 
Um, again, this is just kind of like cash flow. Is the longer you're in the deal, the better return you're going to have because that's just how the loans work. Um, at the very beginning of the loan, you're paying more interest, less towards principal. As you get towards the back end of that mortgage, more money is going to be tied to principal than interest. And so the longer you hold it, the more equity build you're going to get through a loan buy-down uh, being paid for by your renter. So the longer you hold, the better. Same with everything. Everything's, it's not, real estate It's not going to be buy, buy and flip it right now. It's much better to buy and hold. Historically, it's always been that way. Okay, so now you've gone over the uh, the four dimensions of real estate. Uh, you know, cash flow, equity gains, the loan buy down, and what's the fourth one? Leverage and leverage. So, uh, equity gains, cash flow, loan buy down, and leverage. Uh, so, what can you know? What are some total returns that people can see with real estate as a whole? Yeah, so this is where the magic happens. You can you combine all of those. You combine the equity gain. Uh, you add the fact that you can leverage it, the cash flow, the loan buy down. If you combine all that, historically you're looking at between probably between twenty five and thirty percent annual return on your investment. Um, that's long term. That's short term. Uh, over the last five years, someone who who's owned a property last five years they've averaged about 27% return on their money every year. Uh, 10 years ago, it was 29. 20 years ago, it was 25. So it's a fairly consistent 25, 30% return on your money every year. That's a pretty good return. Oh, yeah. You'll take that with anything, definitely. But at the end of the day, real estate is... You don't want to say the best, but real estate is, you know, gives you great returns, Historically, different dimensions. Yeah. In generalities, in general, real estate has been giving you better return on your money than anywhere else. That's why all these big companies are putting their money in there. And that is why real estate most makes the most number of million okay so you mentioned that real estate has the four dimensions uh, and you made it sound really attractive with that um but then you were also mentioning to me before that that you know there might be you know even another dimension there yeah so i'm not going to get down in the nitty-gritty of the the fifth element per se of uh real estate investing but a big thing is your tax benefits by owning investment properties, there's a lot of tax write-offs. And so it's not necessarily a cash flow part of it, but it minimizes your losses by paying taxes. So you pay less in taxes, you're technically making more money. Um, there's a whole bunch, I'm not a tax accountant, so I'm not gonna go into it, but if you're looking at investing in real estate, before you buy a house, talk to your accountant and find out all the magical things that you can write off if you own investment property. So uh, as a whole now, you know, we've, you've, we've gone through all the different ways that real estate can grow and make you money and all that stuff. So uh, how do you see it compared now to the stock market and to gold? Yeah, so if you combine all those aspects of real estate, 
real estate in general historically comes out as a better investment than gold and better investment than stock. Um, every year that we look at it, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, real estate has outperformed gold and the stock market. It's beaten gold substantially. Um, stock is a fairly close second, but real estate still beats it by about 10%. Yep. So now we've seen that, uh, you know, in total real estate just is whoops the floor with the stock market with gold. Uh, now, if you want to dive a little deeper into that, uh, what type of real estate would you say gets the best returns? Uh, you know, we have residential uh, versus commercial. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend someone who doesn't have any investment properties or someone who's just starting out, stick with residential. As you mentioned right way at the beginning of this podcast is that everyone needs a house to live in. And so there's always going to be demand for houses. And so there's a lot more houses to obtain than there are retail or commercial buildings. On top of that, it costs a lot more to go out and buy a shopping center or a, or a commercial building or an apartment complex. Uh, it's a lot easier to obtain real estate. Uh, in Tucson, you probably need $50,000 to $100,000 to buy an investment property. Uh, it's not uncommon for a group of friends to pull their money together and go buy an investment property and split these gains between them. Uh, but that's, those are the reasons why I'd go after residential versus something else, just the ability to obtain and the safety of it. Okay. So residential, probably just less of a hassle to dealing with, you know, two to four tenants than 50 tenants, you know, especially if it's your first time investing, you you want to scale up that way. Not, yeah. You know, there, there's for- benefits for having multiple units um, because if one unit doesn't get rented, you still have the in- income coming from the others. But yeah, it's, it's harder to obtain and it can be more of a hassle dealing with more tenants at the same time. All right. So you mentioned that to buy a property here in Tucson, someone would typically need about 50 to 100,000. Um, what if someone just doesn't have that money with them right now? You know, what, what can they do? So if you, if you don't just have 50 or $100,000 sitting in your bank account, uh, I mentioned earlier, you can maybe pull it up with, with some friends, but if that's not an option and you want to invest in real estate, um, you can go to purchase um, stock in companies called REITs, R-E-I-T, it's Real Estate Investment Trusts. Essentially, you're buying shares of this company that takes your money that you're buying in stocks, takes that money, pulls it with other investors, and they go out and they buy property, income-producing properties, and you get a return on your stock based on the amount of money that that company is bringing in on their investment. So it's similar to pooling your money with your friends, except in this instance, you're pooling your money with a ton of uh, other investors. So it's easier to obtain. Mm-hmm. That main company is taking a cut of the profits, but they're the one taking the risk buying. So, yeah. So if something goes wrong, you're, you're not liable for any of that. We're not dealing with tenants or anything. So, okay. So we know that negative effects of inflation, people see it every day, people talk about it all the time on the news. Uh, do you, would you say that there are any positive effects of inflation? Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it positive, but I call it a, a silver lining uh, with inflation is the fact that when typically, when rate when inflation is high, interest rates are low. Um, 
So if you're buying a house, that's great. You get to take advantage of these low interest uh, rates, which means for your investment property, when your tenant pays your rent, more of that rent is going towards your loan, going to building your equity, and less of it is going to interest. Um, so that's the silver lining of high interest or high inflation is low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for people, you know, refinancing or, you know, dip, dipping their feet into investing, they're getting in at historic lows. So you're seeing that right now. Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense. Historically, 6% under mortgage interest is normal. Um, we're low threes, mid threes right now. So take advantage of it. I can see inflation continuing, but so interest rates should stay relatively low for a while. Well, people have mentioned that, you know, inflation is killing them right now. Uh, You're seeing it with people getting priced out of homes. Prices are going up, you know, here in Tucson, 2% a month. uh, And it's steady. So why, you know, why doesn't the government just raise interest rates and have that balance out with the inflation? The government wants to keep interest rates low because they want to stimulate the economy. When you can borrow money cheaply, there's more money in circulation and it allows more people to spend more money on supplies and goods, which just increases the rate of money being exchanged, which helps stimulate the economy. So that's why they're keeping interest rates low. Uh, But the other reason why they're keeping interest rates low is because our government is trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. If they increase interest rates, it increases the amount of money that they have to pay out on their debt, which could put our economy upside down where we owe our payment on our debt is more than our GDP. And that would be detrimental to our economy. Okay, so how has inflation impacted the real estate market? So the real estate market, as we all kind of noticed that home values have skyrocketed due to two parts because of inflation. Uh, Inflation, the value of the dollar goes down, so prices of goods and assets go up. Um, High inflation is low interest rates, and so people can qualify for more house and so they can afford a bigger house. They can agree to, they can afford to pay a higher payment. And so there's more people buying. Um, so this year we saw in, in Tucson, at least we saw a 30% increase in home values. Uh, nationwide, I think it was 20%. Um, with no signs of inflation slowing down, uh, I believe home values to increase another 20% next year. Uh, so anyone who thinks they missed the boat or they're waiting for that crash, uh, I continue to buy now because prices are going to go up 20%. The, the average, the median sales price in Tucson at 320 right now, 20% on that is $64,000. Imagine the people that were waiting last year. The people waiting know, before last year COVID. just got on an $80,000. Oh, <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to the iHeart Tucson podcast. Here, we'll be diving into all the great places and people of Tucson. From local businesses to Instagram foodie pages, if it's interesting and going on in Tucson, you can learn about it here. 
Episode one is a chat between me and my real estate mentor, John Barry. He has been in the real estate business here in Tucson for over 45 years. Our second guest is a local business called Cloud9 Float Tucson. It's run by Kayleen and me and my girlfriend Jennifer have had tons of great convos with her right before floating. Our third guest of the month is another local business, but this one a delicious Mexican restaurant called La Esquina. Keep a lookout throughout the month for these guests and many more.